Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... If we are ever going to make progress in addressing some of these societal challenges that we have made progress on but have much room for improvement, the private sector has to be leading the way because they are the majority of the sort of dollars that are involved in the industry. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 357 of Impact Boom. My name is Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Jane Mossbacker Morris. Jane Mossbacker Morris is founder and CEO of To The Market, a company that connects businesses and consumers to ethically and sustainably made products from around the world. Jane previously served as the Director of Humanitarian Action for the McCain Institute for International Leadership and currently serves on the Institute's Human Trafficking Advisory Council. Prior to joining the Institute, She worked in the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Counterterrorism and in the Secretary's Office of Global Women's Issues. She is the author of Buy the Change You Want to See, Use Your Purchasing Power to Make the World a Better Place, which became a Target nonfiction bestseller, a number one consumer guide on Amazon, and a number one new business ethics release on Amazon. In 2020, Fortune magazine named Jane one of the 25 world's greatest leaders due to her response to COVID-19. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the importance of ethically sourcing materials and labor to generate business with a positive impact and how to increase the transparency within supply chains internationally. Jane, thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. So to start off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led to your work in social enterprise? I started my career working for the U.S. Department of State. This is our foreign office, and I was focused on national security. My expertise within national security was actually working with women on things like conflict resolution, peace building, etc., And I really came away with the conclusion that for overlooked, underestimated populations to have more power, they really needed more access to resources. So it was a simple but profound mental shift for me. I stayed working at the State Department, but began an MBA at Columbia in New York and started studying developing world economies. And when I was studying developing world economies, I discovered retail manufacturing. 
So not necessarily an industry that would come top of mind when you're thinking about major economies in the developing world. I think most of us rightfully think of the agriculture sector because it is the largest. But what I found was that retail manufacturing is one of the largest economies in the developing world. And it's an economy that is very much so dominated by women in the workforce. Over 80% of garment workers are women. And it really made clear to me, gosh, this is an industry that if I was to get involved in with the intent of trying to drive change, i.e. how could I engage in retail manufacturing to really support suppliers that were providing safe and dignified work as well as sustainable operations, within retail manufacturing, that I would have an outsized impact on women in the developing world. And that was the roundabout way in which I started my business to the market. And our vision is to change retail manufacturing to empower people and protect the planet. Wow, that's really interesting there. And also you're talking about now as the CEO and founder of To The Market, and you just touched on it there, your goals and how you're addressing that issue of supply chain transparency and ethically sourcing, but what are the organization's core activities to create this social impact and change? To the market really focuses on helping mostly US-based brands, retailers, and corporations, but we also have clients all over the world. Welcome anyone who has purchasing power, which is all of us, Mm. but we really help these organizations, our clients, focus on doing more sourcing and manufacturing from ethical and sustainable suppliers. For example, if I'm a big retailer in the U.S., And I'm doing a lot of production, but a lot of that production is being done in factories where I am struggling with the environmental and social footprint of that factory. So the market comes in and we help you actually start producing the same good with the same amount of quality, if not better quality, similar price, but with an ethical and sustainable supplier. We're really shifting where Global North purchase orders are going to make sure that they're going into suppliers that are treating people and planet with the same respect as they're focusing on business performance. It's a really fascinating organization there. And it's really clear from your background to see how you've reached this idea for to the market and then how you've created this idea and the social impact that you're creating. So thank you so much for sharing a bit more about it with our audience there. And if we're looking more now at ethical sourcing of materials and supply chain transparency in general, why is this practice important for businesses to consider while operating their business? It's such a great question. And it's a great question because I think a lot of the movement recently around more conscious consumerism has been more focused on sustainable products, which are critical. There is no doubt that choosing more sustainable fabrications, materials, et cetera, are absolutely a step forward. But what I'm seeing a lot of times happen is a sustainable or organic product is being made in a factory that has really poor environmental practices, the actual production facility, and then is treating people really poorly. It's not enough to just have a sustainable or organic product. We really have to look at the actual footprint of the facility to understand if the actual facility or farm is operating in an ethical and sustainable way. And why does that matter? It matters because 
First of all, as individual consumers, we seek product that aligns with our values. I think there's very few of us that feel like it's worth accessing a cheap shirt if we know that cheap shirt involved someone being in a painful work environment. That is not a trade-off that most of us have presented with the information would, would ever make. And so I think from a core values and human dignity standpoint, just re-reminding ourselves that the vast majority of the products that we're wearing right now that are sitting on our desk or in our house are made with human hands. Yes, with machines helping, but mostly with human hands. And we have to ask ourselves, how are we helping or hurting the cycle of either empowering or an enabling or in a, participating in a more destructive and exploitative dynamic? Second piece is for businesses. Businesses are espousing their values publicly. And typically there are very positive values that they espouse if they are espousing these public values and then their supply chain, their core operations is not reflective of these values, it's a huge risk to the business. It's a huge operational risk, i.e. that perhaps it's a risky facility because they haven't done the diligence to actually understand their supply chain, but it's also a real risk to reputation, whether they are operating in the way that they are speaking really interesting and, and beautiful. It's just a great summary of why people need to consider where their goods and services are coming from. There's so many issues there within the supply chain itself and so much exploitation that's potentially happening. It's just really well said. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience there, Jane. A lot of people might not know this, but another role of yours is that you're a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. So if you're talking a bit more about international kind of connections and relationships, what role does sustainable business and sustainable practices play in maintaining positive connections between nations? It's an awesome question. One of the things that's super fascinating for me, and as you can probably hear, I'm American, but one of the statistics that I always surprised about is after World War II, something like 78 to 80% of money that was going overseas was from the government, i.e., you know, a government investing into another country mm. via the public sector. 20% was private, i.e., I am Jane, I have family still back in Germany, and I am sending over money or investing in my cousin Carl's business in Germany. This is just an example. The numbers have flipped. It's now 70 to 80% of money that goes from a nation overseas into another country is from the private sector, not from the public sector. If we are ever going to make progress in addressing some of these societal challenges that we have made progress on, but have much room for improvement, the private sector has to be leading the way because they are the majority of the dollars that are involved in the industry. A very quick anecdote that I often share. One of the things that I did in my journey was I worked on human trafficking and labor exploitation. That was one of the portfolios that I had over the course of my career prior to starting to the market as an entrepreneur. And I was astounded to find that the amount of public sector money, it could be from a foundation or from the government that went into fighting labor trafficking and labor exploitation was literally a fraction, like a tiny fraction, I would say less than 10% of the amount of money that is sent to suppliers to actually produce products. 
it's much more powerful to leverage the private sector and encourage them to be cleaning up their supply chain and making sure that they're involved and not continuing exploitation of workers than to solely try to attack it via the public sector when the funding available in the public sector is such a small part of what is available to address the challenge. I share that because the private sector has to be involved if we're ever going to drive serious societal change. There has to be incentives for businesses to want to be a part of making improvements on the social and environmental footprint of their work. Absolutely very well said there. And it's quite a beautiful concept to really believe that private enterprise and that money that's flowing there can also have that social meaning and that social value and that relationship value as well, which is great. And interacting within those ethical supply chains can create so much value in the world. So thank you so much for sharing that, Jane. And if we're looking a bit more to the future as well, from a social entrepreneur or an impact-led individual's perspective, where are there opportunities for these people to access ethical supply chains and create more sustainable and positive goods and services? I'll answer that from a consumer and an entrepreneur, what Mm. we can do as professionals. As individuals, we have much more control over discretionary spend than we give away to nonprofits. If I'm interested in women's empowerment, I should really be thinking about using more of my discretionary spend to buy from women-owned businesses because I'm likely have a factor of X of what I'm spending in this discretionary bucket than I'm donating to a women's empowerment organization. One of the things I say is for us to first, as individuals, identify a category that we have discretionary spend in. And it could be tiny. It could be my coffee that I have in my house, or it could be the chocolate that I buy for myself as a treat. And then identify a value that's important to you. Mine could be women's empowerment. Yours could be you want to support small business. Everyone can have different values. And that's the beauty of it is that it's not just for one political viewpoint. And it's not Mm. just for one price point. Anyone who has a category that they spend money on, which is all of us or almost all of us with some level of discretionary spending. And of course, some of us have more than others. I recognize that. But we can make a commitment to align the value that we care about, small business, veterans, BIPOC, women-owned, with a discretionary spending category and say, hey, I'm going to commit to spending 50% of the gifts that I buy for the holidays with women-owned businesses, because that's the value that I'm trying to advance in my work. As professionals, we can do that too. We can begin to ask more questions from our suppliers around, hey, I want to better understand, do you have certifications that help to reflect the strength of your environmental footprint or your social footprint? If the answer is no, then I often encourage people to have your facility audited. If you're buying a product from a facility that says your name on it, you want to know who's touching your product, who's touching your brand. Certainly, this Mm. is something that to the market helps our clients do, but certainly can ask those questions of our suppliers. Say, help me validate the claims that you're making around your social and your environmental footprint. It's only using these market forces, i.e. the demand for more ethical and sustainable production that the supply will continue to catch up and it will change the table stakes around what's acceptable behavior. 
just some really powerful recommendations there. And I love how you broke that down into the different perspectives as well from that consumer perspective and from that entrepreneur's perspective. There's so much insight and a lot of inspiration there, I hope, for people to look into and absorb. We're moving now into the end of our interview. I've just got two more questions left to ask. And the first one is... What inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which are creating a positive social change? I get really excited when I see alignment around job creation and the sale of any type of good. And what I mean by that is I always get excited when the social impact is focused on something sustainable, jobs, rather than simply a give back. And no knock on give backs, i.e. I sell these socks for $2 and I donate 30 cents to this at-risk population. I think Mm. that's awesome. But what would be even cooler is if you employed the at-risk population to make the socks. So any company that is going out of their way to actually provide employment opportunities and the production of a good that is allowing for a sustainable income for a population are things that I get really excited about. And I would certainly say... If people are thinking about how they can be a part of that or what they can be looking for, I would encourage them to look for brands that are employing at-risk population, marginalized population, overlooked populations, and really think about ways in which you can support them. I think that movement is really cool and step beyond the, I make it in this factory over here, and then I donate it to this population over there. So I look for any brand, any sort of company that could be coffee, chocolate, groceries, home goods, you name it. There are companies that are really going out of their way to provide those sustainable employment opportunities. Really fabulous recommendation there for our listeners. And to finish off now, what books or resources would you recommend for our listeners to go check out? There are all sorts of recommendations that I have for books that I think are interesting or helping create positive change in so many different ways. Of course, I will replug my book, Buy the Change You Want to See. It's Mm. available online and through various outlets still. It is really focused on just a handful of categories that I was able to tackle within the book, but it does talk about ways in which we as corporates, people in the corporate world can help harness their purchasing power for good, how we as individuals can really learn more about choices that we're making around basics like coffee and chocolate. So it's just sort of, I think, edible insights that anyone who's beginning their conscious consumerism journey could take away things that are practical because it's so important to look for practical, pragmatic habits that we can maintain that become a part of our lifestyle. So I think that's really critical. Outside of that, one book that I'm really interested in at the moment came out recently, which is a slight pivot. It's more focused on women's empowerment. But one that I think is super fascinating is called The Only Woman. It's a hardback and it has images of very famous moments over time where there's a single woman in the photograph. A famous, let's say, World War II gathering of leaders, and then one woman who's in the photo. And then it really dissects the woman, why she was in the photo, what's her background, what was her role Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. It sounds like a silly premise, but I think what the book is sharing is that behind the scenes, men and women were participating in all of these important inflection points over the course of history. Oftentimes, just men were photographed to sort of capture that moment. But again, behind the scenes, oftentimes, both men and women were participating. I'm just finding the book so fascinating 
learning, learning about mm -hmm. these people who were, you know, probably quite instrumental in influencing the direction of certain major conversations or certain events, but really never got airtime and now are beginning to get a little bit of coverage on their impact. Wow. That sounds like a really fascinating book. And all of the other resources, enterprises, entrepreneurs, businesses, and movements that you've mentioned throughout our conversation today, they'll all be linked in at the end of the article. So once people have listened to us have chat, or they've even read through the transcript itself, they'll be able to go click on through and check all of those out. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience there, Jane. And that unfortunately does bring us to the end of our interview today. Just want to say on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for sharing your time so generously today and being so forthcoming with all of your insights and all of this wisdom that you've collected throughout your career is just really amazing and invaluable for our audience. And I think there was certainly a lot there for myself to absorb. So I really, really believe that everyone listening will have the same experience. So thank you so much and all the best in the future. Thank you, India. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.